state. Hey, man, uh, your uh, podcast, y'all got some good sound to you. Which, is, which one of you is one that does most of the, like the lead on two Catholic guys? Uh, so I'm I'm the main host, and then uh, my buddy Eric Brimmeyer, he's the co-host, and uh, yeah, like I do the the intro and the outro and all that stuff. And you both were Lutherans. Yep, yeah, grew up. I mean, we've known each other since elementary school. We grew up together in the same hometown. Uh, went to the Lutheran Church, the ELCA, which is a fairly liberal synod of Lutheranism, and then um, then come college uh my sophomore year i'm a senior right now i converted to the catholic church and eric followed suit a year later and uh yeah now we got this little podcast going man tell me all about just kind of walk me back when you were um so you was right you were into lutheran church so was your friend my um my dad's now my dad all my life was agnostic till the to the very end but I found out he was raised Lutheran. Okay. And uh, I've been to a Lutheran, do they call it mass? Well, you know, if it's a more traditional Lutheran church, they very well may. Um, like I said, the ELCA is a very liberal sect of Lutheranism, so it, it's not very liturgical. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. What was it like being in a liberal? A liberal um, what was it, going on? It had a great sense of community. I mean, that's for sure. The like, I, I I did you know mission trips all throughout my adolescence. There, there was a yeah, there was a, a good sense of community. Absolutely, um, you know some of the the um, they don't call it homilies. What would they call it? The I don't know. Whatever. We'll just call it a homily. There's <laughs> something you know. The homilies were good, but that's that's what the main focus was uh, was the preaching of the word and the the message being given. It wasn't you know, centered around communion. Obviously we had communion every other week, you know, but it wasn't the main focus of, of the church services. Um, and, you know, I, when I was in high school, I, I don't know, I uh, sort of let secular ideologies sort of creep into my head for a little bit. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of questions about the faith, like things like evolution. It's like, well, how does that reconcile with the creation narrative in the first couple chapters of Genesis? And, you know, I'd go around, you know, looking this stuff up and asking my pastor and whatnot, and I, I never really got any good answers. You know, the answer was always, well, I'll just have faith. It's like, all right, but that's just not good enough for me. This so, guy left at my faith, son. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I I, uh, I sort of fell out of practicing a little bit. I don't, I don't think I ever quit believing in God, but I wasn't all that into it. And then come senior year of high school, which was 2018, 2019, um, I came across um, a lot the the discipline of apologetics. I, I never really knew that there was an intellectual history to Christianity. So when I found this, I was like, whoa, there actually might be a good reason for, for this faith that we have. I started to read C.S. Lewis, and I mean, he set my soul on fire. And so from there, I was really invested in philosophy and theology. And it was through that same love of those disciplines that I started to question uh, my Lutheran upbringing a little bit because I had even more questions than I had originally. And I, I was dissatisfied with the answers I was getting. You know, I would look something up on the internet and there'd be 15 different answers. Like, you know, what does this Bible verse mean? What is Jesus saying here? And you could have an answer from pastor Bob and, you know, Reverend Tim Tom. And it's like, okay, well who agrees? Is there a right answer to any of this? Um, 
and uh, so then I, I began a, a, a bit of an exploration within the Protestant denominations. I, I, I wouldn't dare go Catholic because personally, I, I held some anti-Catholic sentiments growing up. None of that was due to my family. I have I have Catholics in my extended family. Uh, but it was just because, you know, I believe that they worship Mary and, you know, the classic whatever a Protestant would believe about Catholics. And then it finally got to the point where no other Protestant denomination was satisfying my my search for answers. And so finally I said, all right, I'll get the catechism of the Catholic Church and I'll just investigate to see what this whole thing is about. And I started reading the catechism and I started I started learning about what the church actually teaches about Marian devotion and the Marian dogmas and purgatory and all these things that are so foreign to a Protestant. And I was bewildered by the fact that, oh, this stuff is actually biblical and it makes sense. You know what I mean? So from there, I, uh, you know, I, I still wrestled with wh where I was going to go essentially. And then come 2020 of my freshman year of college, I was going to the University of Wyoming and really I, yeah yep I was, I was a cowboy for a year <laughs> Laramie. yep yeah Laramie. what's that campus like up there i oh i love it like i loved wyoming so much and in all honesty i i still don't know to this day why i felt the calling to transfer schools to go back to minnesota um but i think in hindsight looking at sort of the footsteps of god um it's probably because God needed me to be Catholic. And uh, we have an amazing Newman Center here in Mankato, and it's it's really flourished, uh, you know, faith within me. Um, so anyways, uh, obviously, freshman year of college being cut off short due to the COVID lockdowns and everything, I was went back home for pretty much the entirety of the spring semester. And I had a lot of free time on my hands. So what did I do? I spent every single day watching Father Mike Schmidt's videos, and actually, Father Mike Schmidt's is up in Duluth, Minnesota. He's your homeboy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, Jeff Cavins is also here in Minnesota. Um, I watched a lot of Bishop Barron videos, and crazy enough, Bishop Barron is now our bishop in the Diocese yeah. of Rochester. I'm actually going to the uh, the Bishop and Rector's dinner uh, in a couple weeks here, which will be a lot of fun. Is, is that with him? Yep, yeah, yep. And He's so... Power lifter, isn't he, isn't he a bodybuilder? I think, well, I for sure Father Mike Schmitz is. I know he does like CrossFit stuff, but I think Bishop Robert <laughs> Barron does some weightlifting. Well, <laughs> without his priestly garments, <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what he wears. He's a big guy, man, like yeah, they're like Arnold. I'm not kidding. No, I know. I've seen pictures of when he's got the <laughs> short sleeve clerics on. He's got he's got some guns. And you know, um, who's that? I don't know if he's Cuban down there in Miami. Real good-looking priest. He's in like eighty weddings a month. Really, man. He's a he's in so many weddings. The brides love him. You know what I'm about? I, I don't. I don't know who you're talking about off the top of my head, but I'm sure I've seen pictures of him before. Well, he he's like a Brad Pitt. You know, just a good-looking guy. And what is his name? Carlos. Or, I, I'll tag you. I'll find him and. I, yeah, he's he's in that scene, but I like Bishop Barry. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's got some he's got some haters and some lovers, you know. And uh, what what uh, what Bishop doesn't, I suppose. Um, well, so did you get when you were exploring the Catholic faith coming out of Lutheran? Mm -hmm. Did you get any um, blowback? 
No, no. Uh, like I said, my, my entire family is filled with Lutherans and Catholics. Uh, my family just happened to be Lutheran. And um, no, I've, I, I gained the utmost support for my family, um, you know, because I was, I was super invested in this. And so I was able to actually explain why I believe these things that the Catholic Church is teaching are true. Um, and so they're like, yeah, you know, I mean, if, if you're following God, go on and keep doing it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting at home for the spring of 2020. And I think it was in that moment after watching all these videos and doing a ton of reading that uh, I, I essentially said, all right, I think I got to become Catholic. So then the following fall, uh, when I transferred to Minnesota State here in Mankato, I entered the RCIA program. Um, I honestly probably didn't need to go through it just because I was already so convinced. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm doing this. But I did it nonetheless. And then um, come the following spring, uh, Divine Mercy Sunday of 2021, I was received and confirmed into the Catholic Church by Bishop John Quinn, uh, who just recently retired from the diocese. Wow, man. So um, what was the, was there a defining moment of in your journey where you, like an a moment that you can remember that you made the decision this this is it for sure was there some kind of uh something you learned or a feeling or no i wouldn't say i had a, a sort of come to jesus moment i know some people do have those things but it was more so of a, a gradual love story between me and god i i would put it as um i mean even when i was lutheran you know i i've always been drawn to the beauty aspect of the church, because what does the church profess? Truth, goodness, and beauty. Um, even as a Lutheran, I would love going to the Cathedral of St. Paul and uh, the Basilica of St. Mary in Minneapolis, because there was something about this architecture like that lifted one's mind up to God. And and so I was, I mean, so I've always been like drawn to things Catholic, but I was like, I just can't get behind their doctrines. It wasn't until that I found out well, first off, there's actually biblical basis for the doctrines. And second off, I no longer need to abide by sola scriptura because in Matthew 16, Christ gives authority unto his church to bind and loose and yada, yada, yada. So, um, yeah, it, it wasn't really a defining moment. It's just been a gradual increase in, in love and devotion for Christ and his church. Man, you got it going on. <laughs> a wild testimony that you were in the cartel or... Yeah, no, nothing like that. <laughs> I had uh, Lupe on. I had a guy named Lupe on this week. He's, I think he's Mexican. He's from um, Albuquerque. Okay. And I was talking to him about Breaking Bad, you know, the TV oh, show. Yep. He said, man, he said, I, I know some of those. I know all those people in real life, so I can't even watch it. <laughs> wow. I wouldn't doubt it. You I know Stephen Fish just commented. I did. I, I I don't know if I saw that though. Yeah, he uh, he's a good guy. But I I'm I'm trying to figure out if I ran across the podcast on Instagram or, or Spotify. But I think I'm your first five star review. Are you? Well, you I, know what? I we got. I I don't know. I think if you look at Apple Music or I'm sorry, Apple Podcast, which is I don't have Spotify. If you look at that, we have, you know, like, uh, like over 20 five-star reviews or whatever. And then there's one one-star review. It's like, who did that? <laughs> you know? that well, I'm going to support Catholic, anything Catholic. Yeah. If it ain't too bad, I'm going to. Yeah, right. <laughs> support it. And, um, 
Man, it's weird because Catholic social media, when I, when I started my little channel here, Catholic for Rednecks, I really thought I was the only one with that idea in the world. Yeah, right. I did. I thought, you know, there needs to be just a regular guy like me that can reach regular people like me with what the Catholic Church is all about. Because down here, yeah, I mean, right. There, y'all got some high church going on. Yeah. Well, that's. I was going to ask. You said your your dad was at least baptized Lutheran. Did he grow up in the South as well? No, he's his. Well, if you consider North Carolina the South. Okay, well, it's more south than Minnesota, but yeah, Minnesota. Midwest. He um, he was uh, raised Lutheran, but uh, he um, you know, he's all tatted up, and you know, he is a here's a character, but he he passed away when he was young, but right before he oh. passed, Baptist, and uh, but we didn't know Lutheran from. When you say Lutheran to me, automatically it gets lumped into the Catholic category. Yeah, I mean, yes, you know, the weird church, the rituals, and all. Yeah, it's it's, the, it's a part of the liturgical churches, you know, Anglican, Lutheran. You know, it's not like we're Pentecostals or you know anything like that. Yeah, down here, people would say, "Well, y'all go to those, y'all do those rituals." It's not really from the heart. Yep, it's purely cerebral or wrote and yep. you need a personal no soul relationship with Jesus. And so um you know I went to the Lutheran church and they they told me I couldn't they told my son, do you know Catholicism? I love your son's page. Yeah. He comes up with the best memes, I tell you what. <laughs> yeah, he's he's my he's my son and um I took him with me to the Lutheran church and they they told him straight up when we got down because they had an altar rail, okay, all, like Latin Catholics. Must have been like a Missouri synod. That's that's it the was, more. It was. Yep, that's the more traditional sect of Lutheranism in America. Matter of fact, the only reason I was going there is I was renting their building and got there early for their service, and I was like, you know, but they told me I was like, Son, Jesus loves you, but this is a closed. Communion for Lutherans. Okay, yeah, LCA it does not do that. It's communion is open up to everybody, and you know, I suppose the Lutheran theology on the Eucharist is you know consubstantiation. Or I'm sorry, um, yeah, consubstantiation as opposed to transubstantiation, which is a difference, but it's not that big of a difference. Tell me, tell me what it was exactly that you thought of uh, the Eucharist when you were Lutheran. Nothing. I mean, I, I, I. I suppose I I would have looked at it like a Baptist looks at communion, that it's a, a spiritual remembrance of what Jesus did. Now, the the Lutheran theology behind that is not what I believed. You know, the Lutheran theology is is fairly close to Catholics, but because of the church I was growing up in, I mean, I, there wasn't a tabernacle or anything like that. There wasn't, you know, it, you know, I didn't view the Eucharist or the host as being the body of Christ because the pastors didn't treat it as such, you know, and I think that's similar to um, the Catholic church. You know, what was that recent Pew poll in, uh, you know, 2010, 70% of American Catholics don't believe in the real presence. And I think that has a lot to do with how the priest treats the Eucharist, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so. Steve Fish was over here crying yesterday because 
He said he saw a prey. Now, I met, now Stephen Fish, I'm t I like to I like to jab at him because he's a he's in prison, man. You know, he's all <laughs> he's a rough looking dude, so I can talk smack on a, like this. You know, I can put him in his place. Yeah, you know? but uh, I'm just kidding. He's he's always crying about the uh, nervous order mask that I call it. <laughs> I think I got that from him. But uh, what I don't understand is um, in the Lutheran church, he said, co, co, what is that? Tell me what so, that is. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the Catholic doctrine is transubstantiation. That was, you know, mainly developed by St. Thomas Aquinas that suggests that the substance of the, the bread transforms into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ with the words of, of like transformers. Yes. Yeah. Now, consubstantiation, con, uh, you know, being the sort of root word with, yeah, uh, with, suggests that the the substance of bread does not disappear. Rather, Jesus comes into it. So they would say that the host is both bread and really Jesus, whereas the Catholic would say, no, bread is no longer here. It's just Jesus. Mm -hmm. Was that a, a issue with you, like a, a leap of faith? Well, like I said, I didn't even really believe in consubstantiation. I just thought it was a whole spiritual thing and uh, everything like that. I mean, when I when I really got invested in in exploring Catholicism, the real presence was an interesting thing to me because it's like, well, it doesn't look like Jesus, it doesn't taste like Jesus, and then I really went into St. Thomas's philosophy behind it. It's like, okay, well, there's a reason it doesn't look like it, tastes like it, because those are the accidents, and the accidents remain. Um, and then it, you know, it just got to a point where it's like, look. Jesus gave authority unto his church, you know, an infallible magisterium. Mm -hmm. And so I just have to, I just have to fill that doubt with faith. Right. And um, yeah, I mean, that's all like I'm, I'm teaching RCIA right now for, oh, really? yeah, at the Newman center, I, we have guys coming in to the church this, uh, this divine mercy Sunday. And, you know, I was, cause I'm, I'm a education major and a history education major. And so I was sort of getting, riled up within myself it's like gosh i don't know if i'm teaching like everything here like i don't know if these guys get everything and then sort of the holy spirit came into me saying like look jake they don't need to know everything they just have to have the faith and want to be confirmed because learning about the doctrines of the faith is a lifelong process you know ever ending yeah yeah so they just have to have the faith and the willingness to be a part of christ's church and they have that so i'm 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 ready for them to be confirmed yeah, I'm um, I'm learning every day. I interview converts, reverts, cradles, and you know, when I was a police officer, I used to love to work with a rookie. Okay. Because rookies had this this fire and zeal and they weren't jaded. Yep. And police were real bad about getting into roots routines and getting tunnel vision and getting used to doing things that they know what don't, what doesn't work, but right. they does not know what doesn't work. So yep. do it. rookies will do dumb things that we think are wasting time. And all of a sudden they'll catch the bad guy. Yeah. You know? So, um, RCI, I, I was a sponsor a couple of years ago. Okay. And, Oh, during COVID, 
I was a, a I was sponsoring two at, that year. I did one in Birmingham, and I did one in San Francisco on Zoom. <laughs> really? And believe it or not, the class in San Francisco was legit, man. Nice. Except for one, one class, I got mad, and I lit them up on Zoom, and I lit the director up. Because let me tell you how sneaky they were. Do you remember when Francis did that interview that got spliced about wishing that uh, that the same-sex people could have a civic? Yes, yes, I do. Yep. Right? In yep. other words, um, he's looking at it as a pastor thing. Yeah. They, they should have benefits or some type of protection to keep from being executed. Under the law. Yeah. 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 Of course, the the reactionary folks went hog wild the other direction with that. Yeah. But um, what was I going with that? What was I going to say? Uh, Zoom, San Francisco. You remember when he said that? That he said he wished that, that there was some kind of provision to yeah. help people. I mean, he's not looking at you know making a same sex marriage sacramental. <laughs> you know, he just. Right. And that's and that's even evident in his backlash to the German bishops that are trying to implement it into the into the practice of the church. Yeah, but you know, um, at the RCI class, what the late this lady did is she read out of the newer catechism, which I heard Benedict wrote. I heard he's the one that wrote it. Is that uh, that big? I think it was John Paul II that. See, she's in the class, Lisa. Okay. She's in the class. I was your sponsor. And uh, anyhow, the lady, what she did, she was sneaky. Is she read directly from the catechism how it was same sex was wrong? Mm-hmm. And the blah 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 blah. I mean, we we know y'all have attraction, but you gotta, you know, you gotta deal with it and everything. Yep. That, Lady went and grabbed that article that was all spliced up. Yep. And she read the catechism. Then she read that article out of context mm-hmm. as if the catechism was saying the Pope. Yeah. Was, was and then she picked right back up with the catechism. And I man, I went off. I I went off right then. I called the director. I said. I said, that was absolutely deceitful. Yeah, yeah. It was wrong to take your liberal slant and pull it out of context and put it, pose it as a catechism. Right. So you got all these people out in California that's messed up anyhow, Lisa. You know, you got all these Napa Valley wine drinkers, the RCIA, Pelosi people. And that's what they're hearing. Yeah. They're hearing catechism with the out of context misquote. Well, you know, that's similar to, you know, the ELCA. It's they it, they pick and choose and they abide by what they wish to be true. And I think that was that was another reason I got out of there because, you know, the ELCA, I believe, you know, in 2012 with the Obergefell decision which legalized same-sex marriage, they went full board on it. They allowed, you know, lesbian pastors to be ordained and whatnot and a lot of lutheran churches left the elca and they've just been pushing hard on it and yeah i mean it's really become 
it's really become more of a social justice community center than it is a place for divine worship, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. All Lutherans. That's that is that's the ELCA. The same things happening down here with the United Methodist Church. Yes, yeah, I saw some some stuff going on with that. A lot of a lot of churches split. Yeah, it's in it's in total chaos, and it's so sad that they're taking something that the Old Testament strongly condemns and yeah. willing to throw away their religion. Yeah. Over one thing, you know. Yeah. Did you see the movie Swing Blade? I haven't. Okay. I just remember when Billy Bob Thornton played in Swing Blade and all. That subject come up in the movie, and he just quoted the Old Testament. He goes, a man or not sleep with the man. Uh-huh. It's just the way he says it. Yeah. It's just, I just can't believe that they're willing to toss away um, their religion. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting looking at uh, Pope Francis's pontificate because obviously he's much more of a pastoral pope. You know, he's not he's not a theologian like oh, oh, that he will mess it up in a minute. But um, I think there is a value to the the pastoral side of him because although he is fairly ambiguous when it comes to doctrinal statements, and yes, more conservative Catholics would like him to be more direct about what the church teaches. Um, I think there's a beautiful opportunity to express the fact, you know, when it comes to, you know, people suffering from gender dysphoria or same-sex attraction to say, hey, look, we hear you. The church loves you. Christ loves you. We're not saying go and do what you want, you know, but like, let's walk together. Let's do this together because the Lord wishes for your salvation. You know, he wishes for your happiness, right? And when you think it's going to make you happy, uh, the Lord has something better in mind, you know? So I think there is a value to it. Unfortunately, the media does constantly twist the Pope's words. And, and, and I mean, he, yeah, like he's, not, he's, he's very ambiguous, which is- There's like Stephen right there. My buddy, Stephen Fish. Now I love Stephen. And he's, he's, he's assaulted your interview. He's done a home invasion on the channel, on the show here. <laughs> uh, that's the issue I take with with what he just said about the Pope never coming straight out and saying stuff, he does, and it goes unnoticed. You won't see Taylor Marshall and them. No. Highlighting, you know, breaking news. Pope Francis condemns same-sex marriage. He's never going to do that. But uh, when he does say so, I mean, the way I look at it is he gives, to me, he gives both sides a long leash yeah i don't know if you're on twitter uh i used to be on twitter for a while i try to stay away from it now yeah well i'm like one of the newest people on twitter i just got on there because i got tired of getting kicked off of everything else and uh i did not know that there was uh so many catholic priests that were going off on Pope Francis yeah. on Twitter. And I'm thinking people say, well, how come he don't shut this one down over here? And I said, well, if you notice, he's letting this one do the same thing on the other end of the spectrum. He ain't shutting him down. He's letting them all raise hell <laughs> against everything. And I'll, you know, I don't, I don't know. I've heard that, uh, you know, where he's from. Argentina. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, people think that all people people want the Pope to to think like an American. Right. He's not an American. Yeah. He's not a Democrat. He's not a conservative. He's not MAGA. You're not going to see him wearing a MAGA hat. Right. You know, he's a all. I don't know what they are down there, but they've had some some uh, times where they was executing people. Yeah, I mean, they. I think when when Pope Francis was still a young Jesuit, you know, I mean, they had military dictatorship for a bit there. I don't know if communism got in as well, but I mean, they, yeah, they have a very different history than the United States. And yeah, I agree with you. We we constantly look at church politics from our own American lens, but you have to understand that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and how else do we look at things, right? That's yeah. all we know. But the Pope is the Pope of the entire the entire Catholic Universal Church throughout the world, so he's looking at things differently than we are. And yeah, I mean, that can cause some confusion sometimes. How do you balance out uh, numerous people from completely different economic, culture, language? I mean, he's having to. I hate to say it like this, but make a lot of different kind of people happy. Yeah. That don't think alike. Yep. What do you do with people that love Jesus but don't agree with you? Yeah. That's a good uh, question. There's a reason I'm not Pope. <laughs> yeah. I would, uh, you know, he's got a very, what people do not realize, he's got a very high approval rate across the board. And I got to a point where I hated him. Um, I guess about two summers ago, I was really, uh, see, now look, Stephen's saying I love the Pope. <laughs> now, that's funny coming from a Catholic. You see what I'm saying? Oh, you, you're Catholic and support the Pope? Ain't that what Catholic? I mean, we're Catholics? Ain't that kind of like you're in the army and you support the general? Yeah, right. You may not agree with the uh, game plan. You know what I'm saying? My light yeah. went out. My first casualty of podcasting. <laughs> to my first light. So um, what I'm saying is in the Catholic Church, were you ever were you ever in ROTC or the military or anything? Uh no. Nope. Okay. I don't think Stephen was either. He may have been in the army or something. I'm sorry about my life. It's all right. Yeah, I can do it too. We can have a party. I'm going to hire my producer. I mean, I'm going to flog him after the show. I, um, I don't know, man. Uh, in, the, in the Marine Corps, you wear these things called these hats that look like a some kind of hat you'd wear at Sonic or a old yep. time. You know what I'm talking about? Those yep, yep. They're called piss covers. Okay, that's what they call them. I don't know what they're called. They're kind of like a dress cap when you wear the all green marine uniform. Mm-hmm. And they got two kinds. One is called wool. And the other one is called poly wool. And so they would either say, get your, your woolly piss cover or your poly piss cover mm-hmm. and so I went and my drill instructor I don't know if you ever seen these movies like Full Metal Jacket oh yeah they're all standing in the line he says go back and get me a, uh, the wool 
your wool piss cover because he was teaching a class. So I went back and I saw, you know, it said poly and wool on it. Okay. So I said, oh, it says wool on it. So I gave it to him. And he, you know, he, he was mad because I gave him the poly. Well, I said, it says wool on it. And then I went black, blacked out. Okay. He knocked the hell out of me for questioning him. I mean, I got punched and I landed on my back several feet away on the bed, the rack. And he let me know right away, you know, you do not back talk or correct your superior period. I'll, you know, I'll get a M16 and I'll butt stroke your head. Right. You know, not, it's not a game. So I came out of that. Then I became a police officer. And you didn't. Man, if the chief said something, you dang sure didn't get on TV. No. Yeah. Or if you're in the Marine Corps and Fox News asks you what you think about and you really tell them what you think about it, you're in bad trouble. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, that's similar to I, I was just out in Orange County, California, discerning with the Norbertine fathers at St. Michael's Abbey. And you know, it's similar structure. Right. It's you know, there's you have your superiors and you do what they tell you, you know, because they have your benefit in mind. And whether you disagree with them or not, you do it, you know. Yeah, well, it was designed, I tell people, the Catholic Church, they're smart. They pattern a lot of their stuff after the Roman army. A diocese is a military word. Yeah. You know, it's like battalion or regiment, you know. Mm. But uh, I'm just, you know, I got to the point everybody was bashing Pope Francis. And two things happened. There's a girl named Vera. She's a, um, she's um. Asian and American. Uh, er, how do you say it? America. <laughs> Amerasian. Uh, There's a word for well, in the office. You know, Michael Scott, he'd always mess up my. He says, Your dad a soldier, an American soldier. You know, he always made it mess up. But she, she's a Catholic and she uh, lives in Singapore. She's in flight school. Okay. She was getting back to her faith. And this is about two summers ago when I was really wearing the Pope out. I was dogging him out. And I was judging him. I was correcting him and showing him how it's done. And she called me one day and said she was overjoyed because she got to a pass, you know, a VIP pass to go see Pope Francis in the Philippines. Okay. She was overjoyed. And I was ashamed of myself because she was coming back to the Catholic faith excited about going to see the Pope. She wanted to share that with me and she did not know at the time I was like, you know, down on the Pope. But mm -hmm. it, it humbled me and then uh, I have another friend, Amanda, and I said something negative about the Pope when she was going through this awakening and she didn't have any idea what I was talking about. When I was yeah. bringing up objections, because most Catholics don't. Right. They go to Mass, and they don't sit around watching Taylor Marshall eight hours a day. Yeah. You know, that's that's the difference between the Pope and the President, right? The President, you can ridicule him all you want. I mean, that's you know, you're right as an American. But when it comes to the Pope, 
Um, granted, you do have the ability to correct him if it's necessary, right? St. Catherine of Siena is a perfect example of that. But the way in which we treat the Holy Father ought to be very different from how we treat the president, right? He is the Holy Father. You love him. You respect him because of his office. If it's necessary to correct him because he's made some terrible mistake, we have the right to do so. But, you know, we should be prudent with with how we go about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, my son, Brian, yep. over here, and I was I was kind of like at a fork in the road where I was kind of thinking about being a um, what they call a seed. Oh, sure. Yeah, set up a contest. Yeah, because that's, you know, I got to where it's all I was watching. Uh, I worked at EW10, and some of the guys there were full. I mean, they were ready to just go ahead and, you know, nuclear attack the Vatican and take over. I hated them, man. They would talk about Pope Francis. I mean, you wouldn't believe how they would talk about him out loud or the audience here and calling him a pervert and, a, I mean, using locker room terms. Mm-hmm. You know how guys talk in locker room? Yep. You ever watch The Sopranos? Uh, I, I, not, all, not all of them, but, yeah, I've seen episodes. Man, I heard him talk about the uh, Pope like he's some punk on the street. Yeah. Herbert and a child molester. And I'm thinking, you guys are Catholic. Right. At a network that's supposedly Catholic. And you're talking about the commander in chief, the vicar of Christ, the successor of Peter. And I'm like, you don't believe anything about the Catholic church. You don't believe in the keys. You don't believe that Jesus gave Peter authority. I said, you don't believe that. You walked off over a stupid, stupid book that you never read. Because <laughs> you never even read it. It's a beautiful, the documents are, are very well written. It's just you know, the way it was implemented was not <laughs> nearly <laughs> ideal. It was the way it was implemented. But, you know, I got to talking to some some old timers. Mm-hmm. And you got to find somebody real old that's a Latin mass guy from Back before Vatican II, because yep. there's still some out there. Yep. And I was in Raven, and uh, he got on here, and he said, listen here, Sonny, I've been a Catholic since 1930-whatever, yep. and it's always been effed up. He said, we had abuses, perversions, heretics, bleeding out like a chest wound. He was telling me all the people talking in church, eating in church, chewing gum, wearing it. He said, this was way back, way yeah. before, you know, anybody heard of Vatican II. Strong. You know, I, that's what a lot of contemporary people, I think, misunderstand about Vatican II is they believe that, you know, 1950s Catholicism was perfect dandelions and butterflies. And then for some reason, they wanted to change something that wasn't broken. There, the re, there was a reason the council was called. There were liturgical abuses among the pastoral abuses happening in the church. Uh, the laity felt disconnected from the way the liturgy was being celebrated. These are all understandable issues being brought up. And yeah, if you read the Second Vatican documents, they're beautifully constructed. And they they push for a more, um, what, what do they always uh, talk about? Uh, participation, uh, participatory church. But whenever it mentions participation, it's always preceded by the word reverent, 
reverent participation and holy participation, right? Um, and unfortunately, yeah, I mean, there there was certainly a lot of liturgical abuses in the 70s as well with, you know, the liturgical dances and the polka masses and a whole lot of stuff. But um, I'm glad that I've come into the church at a point where uh, it seems like there is a, a lot more holy priests that, you know, aren't anti-Vatican II, anti-Pope, nothing like that, but they still love beautiful liturgy. And, you know, I love going to the Latin Mass, but I, I love, I, my home parish up in the Twin Cities is, they celebrate the Latin Mass, you know, every Tuesday night, but, you know, every other day of the week, as well as Sundays, it's a completely reverent Novus Ordo, said ad orientum with Gregorian chant, and it's beautiful, right? That's all I know. That's all that I know. My Catholic experience, all this stuff that people sob about on YouTube, I've never seen that stuff. And I've been I've been to Mass in San Francisco a whole bunch of times. And it was legit out there, you know. But uh, I went to it. You ever been to the Melkite? I haven't, no. Okay. Do you have one up there? Uh, well, I know we have a... We we do have a Byzantine Catholic church up in the Twin Cities, but that's the only other rite that I know of in the area. Have you been to it? I haven't yet. I do plan to go this summer because I've recently uh, really gotten into writing icons and uh, reading a lot of um, uh, Byzantine uh, spirituality. And the, the way they go about theology is, it's I would, I would call it more mysterious than that of the West. And so I... Yes, mystical, absolutely. So I am drawn to it to an extent. So I would, yeah, I I do fully plan to go to my first divine liturgy this summer, and I'm excited for it. Well, you know that liturgy they use is from 400 AD. Yeah, it's old. Using it since 400 AD. Mm-hmm. TLM came out when? Uh, 1500s. Yeah, like yeah. a thousand years later. Now they think we're modernist. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And a lot of the like, you know, mad trads, you know, yeah. suggest that the Latin mass, this is how it's always been. It's like, no, it hasn't always been like this. Like mm -hmm. the church has the authority to change the liturgical structures. It's not like the liturgy is doctrine. Right. I mean, what is doctrine is the fact that the Eucharistic prayer is said and that the Eucharist is, you know, transubstantiated. The way in which we go about that can be changed according to the magisterium. It's preferred that it's done in a reverent way, obviously, because we're dealing with Christic Lord. But yeah, uh, this idea that you cannot change the liturgical rubrics, that's not a valid idea. Of course you can change them. They have changed throughout history. Well, if you go if you go to the Melkite Divine Liturgy and all, um, I've, I've been to a few of them. I've been to more of those than TLM. And you're looking through the little missile thing. Mm-hmm. And following along with the mass, you'll be surprised how much you know by heart in that saint. What what is it, saint? What's the guy's name? Sort of the seed that wrote the that Chrysostom. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you can see where the where the Latin mass went back there and snatched from them, mm -hmm. put it in their liturgy. I'll, everybody makes fun of the way I say that. You know, they don't believe in kneeling on the Sabbath. I think, yeah, don't they do most uh, most prayers and, you know, the most reverent times are, are done standing? Yeah, because in their culture, where, you know, you know, it's um, a dishonor to kneel to the earth on the Sabbath. 
in a standing is reverence. Whereas in our culture, you know, bowing and kneeling is reverence. Yep. And then I went to a Catholic church in New York, some Indian rite. Okay. I mean, it's got a name this long. If you look it up, sure. I mean, <laughs> man, he got rebuked for coming in with his shoes on. Really? Yeah, you wear shoes. You ain't wearing shoes a mask. Get them damn shoes off. Yeah. He ain't dragging the dirt of this nasty world into our tabernacle. Right. Shoes off, you know. But that in that part of the world, you know, I've been to a Hindu person's house before to do some work. I had to take my shoes off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I grew up uh, with a neighbor, a very good friend who, who was Hindu. Um, grew up with him in school and whatnot. And, um, you know, I being a kid i'd always be barefoot playing outside running around and whatnot and if i wanted to go into his house his mom would say ah she brought me over to the bathtub and made me wash my feet i'm like all right that's good yeah <laughs> yeah what um are you gonna be a priest uh i'm discerning right now i um i i've decided to apply uh, to saint michael's abbey um but i i'm open where the lord takes me you know because i heard you say that word discerning I know what yep. that that's a Catholic word. Yeah. Well I'm running, I'm running running from the call of God. That's yeah, not, well, I've done that for a while. I think he finally beat me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh no, no, you're absolutely right. I I I even when I was beginning my conversion to Catholicism, this call to the priesthood was uh constantly in my head. And actually I I did a whole I I gave a whole rundown of, of my whole discernment uh process. And my uh, time at St. Michael's Abbey in one of our latest episodes, it might be like episode 15 or something on our podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the longest time I was running from that, you know, sort of like, uh, like C.S. Lewis says, you know, he was the deer and God was the hunter and he was constantly running, but God finally got him. And uh, yeah, you know, I had, a, I had a girlfriend and whatnot, and I was doing everything in my power to not do this priesthood thing. And then, uh, yeah, he wore me down. <laughs> you know? Had a girlfriend. Yep. What do you do? Like, if you start dating a girl, do you kind of, you know, give her a hint? Hey, you know, uh, I might not be available in the long game. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I probably didn't go about it all too prudently last time because uh, I wasn't taking the call to the priesthood seriously. I thought that it was just, ah, it's just a voice in the back of my head. So. I mentioned it a couple of times, like, yeah, you never know, but you know, I wasn't very serious about it, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if for some reason I decide to pursue a woman, you know, in between now and, and, you know, possibly being accepted to the Abbey, you know, whether that's a prudent decision or not, I'll have to figure that out in prayer. But, uh, if, if, if that is a, a route that I go, then yeah, I mean, I would definitely be upfront and say, Hey, look, I am seriously, can you know, pursuing the priesthood here. And so I, you know, I leave it up to you. Do you want to? Yeah, man, Francis dumped his, the love of his life. Dumped her. Did yeah. Call her, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, and now he's the Pope. He probably, you know, he was, I, I can imagine he was struggling, you know, but uh, obviously God had some pretty big plans for him. Do you know who Father Leonard Mary is on EWTN? He's the big. Uh, you know, I've, does he have the beard? They all have beards. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've probably seen him. Uh, I don't know him by name, though. 
he was over here the other day, and uh, we feel sorry for him, you know, because he's a single dude. Yeah. You know, we always want the priest to have a place to go, you know, to uh, to have family on the holiday, so we always invite, invite them over, you know, make sure they got a place to go. And Connie, my wife, she says she was worried about him being lonesome, you know, because mm -hmm. after church, everybody walks off. Right. The priest is stuck in there watching ESPN, you know, by himself. And he said he looked at that as a gift, that alone time when everybody's gone. Yeah. Him and the Lord, and he craves it. He looks forward to that alone time. And it's a gift, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, there are certainly men who are called the diocesan priesthood. You know, uh, that's never... As of right now, I, I don't feel called to that as at all because I, I, I need that that community, whether it's, you know, fraternal community or, you know, obviously I've, I've wanted a wife and family for the longest time. But so that's why I was really drawn into monastic life, because you do have those times of, you know, intentional silence and solitude. But, uh, oh, I see. Yeah. Stephen Fish, Cardinal Seurat, Power of Silence. I, I'm reading that right now. Um, Stephen ain't silent. He couldn't be silent if, if he had that book. <laughs> If he read that book 25 times, he'd still be talking. <laughs> Stay with me. I'm a talker, man. So, uh, so your buddy that does the podcast with you? Yep. He going to be a priest? Uh, no, I mean, I mean, the Lord, you never know, right? But no, he's not discerning at all. Mm -hmm. You know, they got that uh, eastern, eastern side where you can do both, don't you? Yep, I do. Uh, you know, I've, I've looked into that. It's like, hey, you know, what would it take to change rights? And uh, I think you have to, I mean, you have to, ha It's a. it has to be an official transfer. You have to let your bishop know, and then the bishop has to ask the bishop of that right to sort of take you in as his own. And like then the I, It's like the military. You just don't right. go. I want to be in the tank division now and leave. It, there's a process. Yep. And then I believe if you, if you want to, you know, pursue the priesthood in Eastern Rite, um, I think you have to be a part of, of the, the Eastern Rite for something like 10 years uh, before you go down that road. Because, I mean, it's a completely different culture than the Latin Rite, you know, so it makes enough sense. Um, but yeah, you know, and obviously you have to be married before you go um, and be ordained. You can't be ordained in the Eastern Rite and then go and get married, you know. Mm -hmm. It's just weird, you know. Um, there's exceptions to rules. Yep. And if you go to Holy Rosary Catholic Church, it's in the projects. You know, in the hood, they got a married pastor. Roman Catholic priest with a wife. Okay? Mm -hmm. The only story I know of him is he's a graduate of Yale and Harvard. He mm -hmm. went to both. And I think he's a shrink. By trade, I'm not sure. Maybe that's uh, something to do with, you know, psychology or sociology. And he's married, and you know, I've seen him on off nights at, uh, you know, at the mass at another church that there was, you know, he got arm around his wife and stuff. And I wonder, did did he come? Was he an Anglican beforehand? I think so. I think he was a married Anglican priest yep. and became Catholic and. You know, I think that if she precedes him to glory that he has to remain single. 
Well, you know, it's odd. I, I could be wrong about this with regard to uh, uh, the Eastern rights, but I, I almost want to say, isn't there a rule in there where, you know, if you enter into conjugal union with your wife, you can't say mass that same day? I could be wrong on that. I didn't, do you know? And I don't know, but we had, do you know who Father Alex is? You ever heard of him? Oof, I don't. Okay. Him. I get in trouble a lot. <laughs> but he, um, okay, he, uh, if you ever go hear him, Father Alex, I had to look up his last name. It's like a German name. Okay. And uh, they keep him off camera. The church does. And he's, he's rough and tough. And he taught a class for us at, at RCIA. And all uh, he, you know, he has had a lady ask him if they're allowed to have sex before mass. Mm. He said, absolutely, just don't block the communion line. <laughs> he said that, you know, and uh, <laughs> he, look, they, uh, they told him, they said, you got three choices. This is before the judge. You can go into Marine Corps, you can go to prison right now, or you go be a Catholic priest. You pick it. So he picked Catholic priests. So once he got his stuff, they put him in Chicago, mm -hmm. in the hood, mm -hmm. threw away the key. You know, let's let Father Alex work up here for about 30 years, you know. And then they sent him to, he went to Detroit, Chicago, I think Cleveland. Then they sent him down here to a place called Inslee, which is a rough area. But they ain't never let him in no fancy Catholic church. Yeah. He, I mean, he's got scars and stuff. He's just a rough guy. But you talk about, uh, you ever heard uh, Pentecostals talk about the anointing, mm -hmm. the, the presence of God? Yep. I went to him during the Holy Week before I converted. And you know you know how you do this? Before, yep. you, before you're a real Catholic and you take on the mouth, you got to do the training wheels. Yep. You know, the little miniature wings. <laughs> And I went up there to get blessed by him, man. And it was like a, a force field hit me. Mm. You know how Pentecost talk about getting slain in the spirit? Yep, yeah. All that happened, man. It was like, I said, whoa. You know, I felt God on that man. Yeah. And I went to him for confession once without going to confession. You know how them people will show up ahead of you and stand there for 20 minutes? Making mm -hmm. Well, I went in there for counseling. Uh, oh. oh, any better? And uh, he was rough with me in counseling, man. And I was asking questions, and finally he picks up this crucifix. I'm going to pretend this is a crucifix. Sure. And it was a face-to-face -face confession. He goes, you see this man right here? Yes, sir. He had to suffer, and you're going to suffer. Get over it. That's about it. <laughs> I love it. It was no, give me a hug, let me get your hand. It's going to be all right, son. Well, you know, I, I got a real funny story from when I was at the uh, the, the Abbey uh, just this past spring break. Um, one of the seminarians there was telling me a story how, you know, uh, during their common recreation time, he went for a run. And um, and he came back and they have uh, they have a... a a group of Filipino uh, Dominican sisters that, that work there and, and, you know, work in the kitchen and whatnot. And he came back to the Abbey after his run and, 
you know, she, she said, uh, because they called him Frater, you know, Latin for brother, you know, Frater, Frater, how are you? And, you know, he goes, well, sister, I tell you what, I'm, I'm real tired. And she goes, no, you are not tired. Jesus is tired. You go in the chapel and look at the crucifix. You are not tired. And he's like, oh my gosh. All right. I'm going to go cry now. (laughs) There's some rough ones, you know, Padre Pio. Oh yeah. Oh, he would, oh my goodness. He would. You know, because the man could read souls and he could tell if you were withholding something in the confessional. And if you were, he'd say, get out of here, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, my trad friends, I see every one of my friends are trads. Okay. Everyone, all my trad friends think I'm some flaming liberal James Martin fan. I'm not. I'm more trad than they are. I just have to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was made Pope for the day. They'd be the trads would be begging Francis to come back. <laughs> John is too hard. He's too hard. Because yep. I mean, I would make some changes so fast that all trads get me. I had them pews pulled out of the church. Oh yeah, yeah. Put it back to like yeah, the Hagia Sophia, like it used to be. <laughs> no, uh, well, you know, what are the pews? That's a you know, that's a product of Protestantism. <laughs> Sitting on your ass in front of God? I mean, you can go sit on your ass in front of the king? No. You ain't see nobody in Game of Thrones walk up to the king and sit on his ass and start talking to him? You know, we want to take, you know, we want to make Jesus our drinking buddy. We're just going to pull up a stool here to the bar and sit on our rear ends in front of God. No. And they didn't. They stood. And then when they did the consecration, they hit their knees. Mm-hmm. And I just say that because the rad trads, they think they're hung up on these altar rails. Because you post a picture of your nervous order church, and that's the first thing, where's the altar rails? You know, they got to say something negative. Yep. And I'm like, man, you know, where's your pews? What do you got pews for? <laughs> no. Get rid of your pews. And if the altar rails, you know, you're mad at me for not having altar rails, I'm mad at you for having pews. <laughs> I would let the NO churches keep the pews. Because yep. they're not the ones making the issue uh, out of uh, decorations. Yep. But Latin Mass, I said, yeah, you can have Latin Mass all you want, but get rid of those pews and you're going to do a burning out in the parking lot with them. <laughs> you know, get all your half Protestant Bibles and burn them too. You yep. know, your NIV, nearly inspired version. I mean, because <laughs> I got a Catholic friend in Africa mm-hmm. and he's surrounded by these Seventh day Adventists. He yeah, Bibles, man. He'll get a King James Bible. He'll find a King James Bible and he'll make a public ceremony of it. <laughs> They included the Apocrypha, which we would call the deuterocanonical books. Um, but I mean, the King James is a—it's a beautiful translation. It's just hard to find a Catholic edition that includes the deuterocanonical uh, books. It's all—it's all I use because it's a weapon here. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Yeah, I the King James Bible. And yeah, ain't, ain't no Protestant gonna start quoting some half half quote to me about the King James Bible, because I'll quote it back to him. Yeah, yep. You know, I had a friend tell me that purgatory is not true because 
Paul says, uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I say, he did not say that at all. Mm -hmm. He said, we'd rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord. That's a big difference. Yeah. And I think that's the, um, I think that's the, the beautiful, the beautiful aspect, you know, being a, a convert from Protestantism is one thing that, that Eric and I have, have really tried to do in our podcast, two Catholics walk into a bar is to focus on the biblical basis for these doctrines, right? Because, you know, in all honesty, for the grand majority of the part, Protestants got Catholics beat in their knowledge of the Holy Scriptures. They simply do. Um, maybe they don't, you know, I mean, obviously there's differences because, yeah, they can quote a verse to you, but do they really know the whole story? Yeah, whatever. Um, so, so we really like to go into the biblical basis for things because that's common ground with Protestants, right? They're not going to accept the infallibility of the magisterium, but what yeah. they accept is the authority of the Bible, as do Catholics. So it's like, all right, let's start with home base here. And let me show you why the Catholic Church is the church that Christ instituted. Yeah, you got to have a baseline with Protestants. Yep. Baseline is the Bible. Yep, absolutely. The preeminent authority, you could even say. They don't give a rip what your magisterium or your pope said or mm. what your church father said. They're they going to go by the sola scripture until you hit a doctrine that ain't in there. Then they're uh, open to it. Like, uh, what about this one where it says a woman, women shall be saved through childbirth. Mm. And, you know, you have one of them ask you how you get saved. And you just quote that. Well, the Bible says, if you're a woman, you're saved through childbirth. That's what it says, saved. S-A-V-E-D. The mm -hmm. Then they want to, you know, all of a sudden they want to change gears. Well, they're they're good at picking point or pick pointing, uh, like I said, verses out of context, uh, which does nobody any good. Whereas, you know, like I, I may not be able to quote scripture exactly to somebody, but I can tell you the main idea of John six. You know what yeah. I mean? The fact that Jesus was spoke was speaking literally when he was talking about how his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink, and the reason for that is because. The Jews knew he was talking literally, and so they said, "This guy's crazy. We're out of here." You know, it's, you know, they didn't say, "Hold on, are you are you speaking symbolically?" Jesus didn't say, "Oh, sorry, let me rephrase, guys. Let me. I don't want to scare you." He goes, "Yeah, it's a hard teaching." You know, actually, it was kind of stonable if you think about it, because touching the blood, eating the blood was so, uh, you know, it you was didn't kosher. Yeah, I right. mean. Will be, he might as well have been saying, unless you eat pork, yeah, right. Unless you eat, a unless you eat barbecue pork, you can have no eternal life. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're like pork, you know. No, hey, that's who are you, you know? Yep. And uh, he didn't walk it back, did he? Well, you know, there's something beautiful in that because you know the the Jewish belief is that in the blood that is where the life of the thing is, right? And so it's so beautiful that Christ commands that we drink his blood because that is where the life is. That is where eternal life is found. It is in his blood. And uh, yeah, and you know, even if you go to the Last Supper narratives, um, it's so important to look at the original languages that the New Testament was written in. When you look at the Greek, Jesus says, this is my body. You ask any professor of Greek at any university and you say, hey, can you can you tell me what Jesus is saying here? Is he, you know, is he speaking symbolically? Is this open up for interpretation? 
any of them will tell you by looking at the original Greek and the way that that language is constructed, Jesus is undoubtedly making an absolute unification with this bread, an absolute identification with it. He's not saying that this represents something within me. This is my body in the fullest form, you know? So yeah, looking at the original, uh, the original languages of the, of the Bible is super important. And that's why it's really necessary that we have a magisterium because yes, you know, the Bible is the book for me and you, and we can read it and we should meditate on the scriptures. Absolutely. But to think that you have the ability to know what every single passage means because you have the Holy spirit. Now, granted you do have the Holy spirit. That doesn't mean you are now, you know, omniscient in your ability to, uh, you know, um, look at every piece of scripture and automatically understand it. Right. Christ gave us a church for a reason, you know, have you ever tried to play a board game without reading the rules? <laughs> I, yeah, I suppose you could, but you're not going to be playing it very right. That's what the uh, Protestant church does. You know, uh, they got, they're going by one, they're going by one part of the, uh, you know, we just don't have a rule book. We've got the rule, the interpretation thereof, you know, the commentary, the magistrate. And um, I just, it's like we used to play Risk and Monopoly when I was a kid. Oh, y'all don't, your age, y'all don't probably know what that is. Oh, we lo- I play Risk and Catan all the time with the boys here. I love but it. Don't, don't you get to a point where you kind of sometimes make up your own rule because you don't really remember what yep. the rule was, so you just run with it? Yep. And I think that's what they, they're doing is uh, they're just some of it. They're just making it up as they go. Yeah. And, you know, it's like yeah, I, I give all thanks to my Protestant upbringing. You know, it instilled a great fear and love for God within me. Um, but it, it's not the fullness of truth. Right. It's you know, I, I some of the I've met so many Protestants that are just on fire with love for the Lord. And it's like. You know, I'm not I'm not bashing your your Christian tradition because I dislike you or something. It's because I see that passion you have for the Lord in you. And I want you to come and receive him in the Eucharist because, boy, your mind is going to be blown. You know, Um, on the last episode uh, we just published, it was um, with Father Vogel, my my priest here at the Newman Center about uh, Holy Week and everything like that. And, you know, he mentioned, um, you know, how it's more so not that Catholics don't, but Protestants are are really like harping on like and hoping for the second coming of Christ, right? As are Catholics, but I feel as though Protestants more so because they view, you know, Christ 2000 years ago and, you know, yes, he's with us in spirit, but hopefully he comes again. Whereas the Catholic understands, look, yes, Christ died and rose again 2000 years ago, but he also said, I will be with you always until the end of the age. And he is, he is in the tabernacle of every Catholic church and he is living in and through incarnationally in his priests who live in persona Christi, in his church, in the magisterium, the, the incarnation is continuing on, you know, Christ is living vicariously through his mystical body, the church. And so I think that's a reason why, yes, we want the second coming to happen, but we're not so pressed about it because Christ is with us. He's here. He promised us this, you know. Yeah, I saw Jesus in person last Sunday. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He had that red candle next to him. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, Thursday night's my favorite on Holy Week. Okay. When they shroud them up. Yep. The tabernacle is just, it gets to me, man. I start crying talking about it. <laughs> but it just gets to me. And they put that umbrella thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thing. It's like a heat shield or something. I don't know. They got it on top of them. And um, Holy Week's a, I can't believe it's Holy Week, man. It's just, I know. It, it's come up so quick. Yeah. Well, let me ask, how are your parents? Are your parents around? Are they supportive of you? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my my uh, dad was raised Lutheran. Um, you know, he's, he's still Lutheran, I suppose you, you could call it. He's Christian, obviously, but I mean, we don't really go to Lutheran church anymore. Um, and my my mom was raised nominally Methodist. And then she she really started getting invested in her faith after she married my dad. And uh, and yeah, I. I started my conversion and, um, and me and my mom have always been the ones that are like, like nerds about like Christianity and whatnot. You know, not that my sister and my dad aren't, you know, believers, but we've always just been like hyper, like you got the gene, that gene. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so during my conversion, I started, you know, telling my mom all this stuff, like, Hey, look, like start reading the scriptures as a Catholic. And it's like, Whoa, you know, it completely opens the door and it's amazing. Yada, yada, yada. And, um, and ultimately, uh, my mom was actually received and confirmed into the Catholic Church oh, this really? August. Yep. What is she saying about, uh, have you talked to your parents? I know you're a grown man, but have you talked to your parents about your vocation, possibly? Yeah. That, so, uh, I mean, my, you know, my mom, my, my parents are completely supportive. Um, I think my mom being Catholic understands, you know, that, that vocation a little bit more. My dad is completely supportive. I don't think he understands really like, why would you want to go live in a monastery for the rest of your life? But nonetheless, yeah, very supportive, which Mm -hmm. is good because there, there are a lot of, you know, more hardcore Protestants that they get a lot of backlash from their family if they're considering Catholicism or, you know, let alone the priesthood or anything like that. So yeah, I've been very blessed with a, a very supportive family in, in all the endeavors that I'm pursuing, which is a blessing because it's just one less thing to worry about, you know? Yeah. So how old are you now? Uh, 22. Okay. Are you open, but you're open to dating a Catholic girl, if the right one, that would be my preference in all honesty. But uh, what do you like? Do you like uh, short, tall, <laughs> Catholic, and beautiful? I guess. <laughs> yeah. Brunette, red, blonde. I'm I'm helping you out, my brother. I'm helping. Hey, take your hat off for just a second. I, I, do, this. I do this. Let me see your profile. <laughs> All right, man. I used, I used to have some flow, but you know what? Being in college, I ain't got a whole lot of money, so I just said, I'm not paying for haircuts no more. I'm just buzzing it myself. <laughs> so what, tell me something about yourself, non-Catholic. What do you like to do? I uh, love the outdoors. You know, growing up here in Minnesota, we got all four seasons, and, uh, you know, every winter we go up to Lake of the Woods, which is on the Minnesota-Canadian border. We go ice fishing up there. Um, I, you know, I did some duck hunting in high school, but since being in college, haven't found a whole lot of time to do it. Um, go up to the lake. So Minnesota is interesting when you, when you say up North, like, Oh, you're going up North. That is understood completely to everybody because of the fact that most of the, you know, 
not super wealthy, but I suppose like wealthier people in the Twin Cities area, all of them have a lake cabin, you know, in northern Minnesota. So like it's a very common thing to, oh, yeah, I'm going up north this weekend. Everyone understands, OK, you're going up to your cabin or you're going up to someone else's cabin and up there you're fishing and you're, you know, wakeboarding and kneeboarding and out on the pontoon and you're drinking and you're golfing. And I mean, it's a hell of a time because of the fact that our winters last so long. I mean, hell, it's April 4th or whatever. April Fool's Day, the first, we got a huge snowstorm. So we're still not even out of winter yet. It's terrible. Um, so because our winter, because our summers are so short, Minnesotans take it in and we go, you know, guns a blazing and try to do everything we can because we're not going to be able to do that for a while. Uh, you know, every spring, sorry, go ahead. Uh, every spring, uh, me and my buddies go on a, a long backpacking hiking trip. You know, whether that's up on the north shore of Lake Superior or uh, a couple years ago, we went out to the Black Hills in South Dakota. Um, so I love being outdoors. Uh, come the winter time, which lasts far longer than I wish it would, uh, we'll go skiing. Other than that, you just go to the bars. You know, <laughs> have you ever seen the map of uh, like, you know, drinking levels in the United States? You look at North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, it's like, holy smokes, it's alcoholics up there. And then you look at Utah and the Baptist South, and it's nowhere near the level that, that uh, us Midwesterners are taking them down. Do you believe in Bigfoot? Do I believe in Bigfoot? You know what? I, I, I'm open to the uh, existence of them. I haven't uh, come across any evidence to uh, push me to be a full believer, but it, you never know. It's a mysterious world. You spend a lot of time in the woods and you haven't seen Sasquatch there. That's cool. That's cool. So you don't care if it's a brunette, red, or a blonde? So long as she's Catholic and beautiful. <laughs> you, know, you want a trad wife, like with a veil, that wants to have about five kids? You know, I, I have no idea, man. Like, I I guess I'm, I'm open for whatever God will give me. <laughs> you know, if they, you date a slight older woman, would you date? What's your, what's your limits? Uh, I mean, let's say I'm 22. I guess you know, maybe like uh, 19 to 24. You know, I don't know. <laughs> That's a narrow window, is it? <laughs> yeah, man. Not you're 22. Well, I'm just starting the person right now. I haven't thought too much about dating recently. You go up too. That's all. You just wiped out millions of potential girls, man. Well, like I said, it's hard to put limits because you never know who God's going to put in your life. So it's like I, if I if if I find her, I'll know it. You know what I mean? It's not like I I got a checklist here. Like, ooh, sorry, you know, you don't meet this this requirement. It's like, hey, are you Catholic? Are you pretty? Good. You know, <laughs> I suppose I'll know if I if it's right. Well, I I really do hope. That, I think you'd make a great priest. I mean, I just I could just see it on you. I mean, you know, when I became a policeman, I had these people say, "I always thought you looked like a cop." I said, "What are you talking about? The way you talk, the way you walk. This is way back, you know." And you look like a priest to me. I could just see you doing your little catechism in a year, talking <laughs> with Father Mike. <laughs> Maybe when Father Mike retires, Jeff Cavins will give me a call and I'll be on there. <laughs> I can see it. Yeah. I can also see with a couple girls I know that's out there saying the same thing you're saying. I just want a Catholic, a Catholic man. Is it Catholic and beautiful? Yeah. Well, you know, that's my, that's, 
that's the difficulty with with discernment because of the fact that I've never been fully drawn to one or the other. It's like, like you know, I'm putting in my application to the Abbey, right? If I get accepted, I think I'm going to jump for joy and be like, yes, like I want. Oh, this is going to be amazing. And if I get rejected, I think I'm going to jump for joy and say, yes, I think God might be calling me to marriage. You know, like I, I I've come to the point where where God has really tired me out, so I'm just. I've just foregone my own will and I'm just, I'm just here for the ride and I'm just letting him take me where he needs me to go. I hear I'm, I'm in the same boat, you know, yeah. just hope my wife don't throw me out. If she don't throw me out, I'm good. <laughs> I'm going to hook you up, man. So here's, I'm going to give you a, um, I'm going to hook you up and, uh, I am, I'm going to hook you up with a temp, a temptation, not a temptation. A discernment opportunity, <laughs> an opportunity to see which way you're leaning. All right, I believe you should. You know, yeah, oh, absolutely. Because a priest told me they had an exit sign where he was going, and every day they say, "There's, there's a sign right there. We mm -hmm. invite you to leave. This isn't for most people. In fact, we encourage you to leave." And mm -hmm. I heard him say. If there's anything else you think you could do and be happy, do it. Because mm -hmm. oh, I think it is a real, real hard life, you know. I got I know priests that won't come interview with me mm. because they know the abuse they're going to take in comments. Sure, yeah. You know, so it, it is, you know, because of other people's mistakes, you know, the good guys take a, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, you know, there's a sacrifice in every vocation, right? Uh, priesthood, you're you're living a celibate life like that. You know, that goes completely against a man's natural desires. In marriage, granted, I've never been married, but I'm sure you can attest it's not always butterflies and dandelions every single day. You know, there's sacrifices that have to be made in any vocation. Jesus didn't get married. Yep, that's right. He had no sense not to get married. I mean, he wouldn't even hate nobody. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever think about? If all uh, like Mary Magdalene was his like uh, gal pal, like they yeah. were. Yes. What does that come from? The uh, the the lost gospel of Thomas. Uh, no, it's a complete forgery. I mean, I I'm being a you know a history major. You know, we're we're instilled on how to do critical historical analysis. It's a complete forgery. I googled that last night. Yeah. What you just said, because I'm trying to you know, there's something called a scientific method. Mm. And I know there's something in research, some type of measuring a, a method that journalists do to vet. Yeah. Because, so, uh, you know, I want, I, I want my stuff to be legit. Yep. I don't like to say something just because I heard it a thousand times. Right. You could be wrong. Yep, absolutely. Like the word about sisters and brothers. Jesus's sisters and brothers. Oh, right. You know, it's necessary to look at the Greek. But does anyone actually look at the Greek or they just heard Scott Hahn or somebody say that? You know, it's a very good book. Uh, I don't have it. Oh, there it is. <sighs> Jesus and the Jewish Roots of Mary by Dr. Brant Petrie, one of my favorite biblical scholars. And he goes so in depth in the original Greek and how it is, if, if you actually apply yourself and study it, it, Jesus did not have biological brothers and sisters. And the 
the church fathers knew this. You look at the writings of Origen, of Tertullian, of Eusebius, St. Jerome. They all understood that they were talking about his kinfolk, not his actual biological brothers and sisters. Right. So that word means kinsman? Uh, well, the same Greek word being used there. I'm trying to remember what it is off the top of my head. Uh, it's, I, I go in depth in it in our Marian Dogmas episode on our podcast. Listen uh, episode is excellent. Thank you. That was one of my favorite ones to do. Um, so, like the, this, this same Greek word is is also found in the um, in the the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, uh, used to describe Abraham and Lot as being brothers. Well, we know Abraham and Lot are not actually brothers. Abraham is the uncle of Lot, so it, it just gives precedent for how this term can be loosely used to you know refer to possibly an actual brother or sister or, you know, kinfolk in, in, a, mm -hmm. in a general sense. It's very interesting. Let me ask you one quick question before I let you go. I know you got to go. Okay, you know how uh, the male, the male child is circumcised to bring him into the Abrahamic covenant? Yep. And now under the uh, Jesus covenant? Yep. His baptism is now the is the uh, entry, the right? new initiative, the initiation. Yep, new circumcision, right? Yep. And I was thinking about women. You know, women did not get circumcised that I know of. Heck, they I don't know. They may do something. I know some cultures do something. Mm -hmm. Some cultures do do something to the young female. Sure. We do it. Right. But, but I was wondering, is the female girl riding in on the covenant? Um, you know what well, I'm saying? Yeah, no, not, I know what you're asking. So, I mean, well, with regard to the new covenant, obviously, they're initiated in because both men and, and women are, are baptized, right? Uh, with regard to the Abrahamic covenant, I, I'm going to make an educated guess in to say because of how cultures were were established back then, women were essentially you know, uh, property isn't the right word, but Cattle. Cattle. They're, yeah, they're, they're a part of their husbands, right? So when man and woman are married, they are no longer two flesh. They are one flesh. So if the man is brought into the covenant, I would, I would assume that the woman is brought with him because of the fact that there is now one flesh between them. I understand. So she's receiving, she's receiving circumcision, circumcision in a, you remember how they took the bone from Adam and yep. you know, some kind of, there was a transference made. Yep. You know, so I was trying to, you know, figure out how that worked with, because there was a circumcision. Um, Adam was opened up. Right. And a part of him was taken and opened and the uh, uh, Eve was opened, right? Yep. Then, be opened and he said oh, oh my goodness flesh of my flesh bone of my bones like yeah. finally, look at this beautiful woman <laughs> you know at what scission is part of circumcision yep you know i'm just thinking that that's i don't know man i'm crazy <laughs> i'm on edge just kidding well look man i'm gonna um i might be hooking you up with a certain individual and all uh, if it works out it works out if it don't just you know it don't work but i just feel like you should 
Uh, there's someone I kind of want you to meet. Hey, I, I'm open wherever God leads me. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I don't want to uh, interrupt God's plan for you to be the next pope. Could <laughs> He could be the next pope. Could be. Well, probably not the next one, but <laughs> I right. feel like I'm yet. Hey, brother, I'm gonna have you on again. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll get um because Eric and I were we're trying to figure out. Well, do we do this together? But you know, our stories are different, so we figured let's do it individually so that you know we can really uh get into our own personal lives. But yeah, we'll we'll get Eric on here with you, and yeah, I'd love to come on again. You're you're a hell of a guy to talk to. All right, man. I'll be praying for you and uh. Two Catholic guys is a podcast, right? Two Catholics walk into a bar. I messed that one. Two Catholics. That's all right. Yeah, and we and we're found on you know Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts. And then uh, you can find us on our main. I mean, we're on a couple different social media platforms, but our main one is Instagram, and you can find us at Two Catholics. T W O Catholics. Okay, man. I'll, I'll I'll be putting your links everywhere, but I love you, brother, and I'll give you a call. And I need you to send me a Minnesota State hoodie next winter. All right, I will do that. (laughs) All right, bud. We'll talk to you. All right, awesome. God bless. Okay, love you.